Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guest is Millie Fotso, the founder of The Braided Life. The Braided Life, also known as The Braided House, is a braiding salon in East Austin that aims to celebrate the Black hair experience. In this episode, Millie chats about how moving from Cameroon to the United States impacted her childhood, why she decided to leave the corporate world at L'Oreal to start a business that celebrated all types of beauty, and how her salon aims to empower the Black community in Austin. Let's get into the show. Millie, thank you so much for joining me on Office Chats. I'd love to get started with some background on your career before founding The Braided Life. Yeah, so prior to the braided life, I guess I'll start from the beginning of time first, and then I'll kind of move in. Um, So I am originally from Cameroon, and I moved to the States when I was five, um, went straight to Kansas, and then lived almost equal parts time in New York, North Carolina, Illinois, went to school in California, and then straight after college, I ended up in New York at L'Oreal. Um, in their global marketing department. So coming up with 360 marketing strategy for new products um, and then also part product development. So working with the labs to um, come up with concepts and formulations about two years out from when the product is supposed to launch. Um, So spent some time there and realized that it just was not a good fit for me. Um, Learned a lot. We can get into that later. But ended up taking kind of a mini sabbatical where I lived and worked in Europe for six months, living in a different country every month for those six months. Um, I feel like that was my eat, pray, love time. And then after that, I ended up in Austin where I worked at Facebook and the global business group and also founded a couple tech companies. So there's been a lot of bouncing around. (laughs) That's the theme here. We're going to get into more of your background, but I kind of want to set the scene for the listeners who are not familiar with your company. So can you tell me what led you to create The Braided Life and what services and resources you offer? Yeah, I feel like The Braided Life has probably been in my head and heart for a very long time. And it came to fruition about a year ago now. So we opened in November of 2021. As I just mentioned, you know, I had spent my career in tech and beauty. And during the pandemic is really when I realized that I was not passionate about being in tech. And during that period of time, I also kind of started braiding my own hair. My mom was a hair braider when she passed away when I was seven. My dad learned how to braid my hair. I primarily grew up in white neighborhoods. So the only time where I would see people that looked like me were in braiding salons. And so that's kind of where the idea for the braided life kind of started popping up again. 
just creating a space where as Black women, trans, non-binary folks, we can all have space to reflect, to heal, to breathe, to connect with ourselves and the community around us. What was it like moving from Cameroon to the United States? And can you tell me a little bit about how you adapted to that change? Yeah, big change. Um, My dad actually moved from Cameroon about three years prior to my mom and I coming over. And when we were telling people in our village that we were finally coming to the U.S., we thought we were moving to Manhattan, New York. So we were like, yeah, we're leaving the village. We're going to New York City. And then we landed in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, And that, yeah, (laughs) was a definite shock, right? You're going from a country where everyone looks like you to a state right in the middle of America where nobody looks like you. And I mean, I was five, so I don't remember a lot of the details of it, but I do very distinctly remember feeling othered. Like I spoke French in my native language at the time. I could say yes, no, and good morning in English. And so not being able to speak the language and I'm going to kindergarten, right? There was a lot of feeling like I needed to catch up and assimilate. I was raised very much so in the environment that we need to assimilate, we are behind. And a lot of our culture did get erased growing up because of that. Like we still ate Cameroonian food, but my dad tried our hardest or his hardest to make sure that we didn't stick out too much or we weren't othered too much. And so there was always a balance for me between, okay, I'm American, but Cameroonian, I'm Black and African. And like, I just didn't really know, I guess, where my place was. So there was a lot of adjustment and a lot of identity work as an adult to unlearn a lot of those things as well. And I'm sure now it's it's rewarding in a sense to, in your adulthood, have created a, a company that sort of celebrates your culture and is all about, you know, highlighting what makes you unique compared to like at a time, I'm sure it felt like you kind of just wanted to be like everyone else. Exactly. Yeah. At the time I was perming my hair, trying to straighten it, right? Like trying to really fit your centric standards of beauty. My dad was resistant to that. But for me, I was like, you don't understand, right? Like I'm a little girl, I'm just trying to fit in. And so now I feel like it is so powerful to be building a space where we really do encourage self-expression. And that's really at the core of who we are as a brand is like, come as you are, express yourself as you want to. If you want pink hair, get pink hair. Um, If you want designs, get designs and really just celebrate our culture and our ancestors in a lot of ways. That's beautiful. Tell me about the first steps that you took to turn the braided life into a business. Initially, actually, it was August of last year, I decided that I was going to start an Instagram account. And so that's basically how the business started. I grabbed some pictures from Pinterest and I overlaid it with some text. It said the world has a lot of opinions about how Black women wear their hair. We say, fuck it. Like that. Am I allowed to curse? I'm sorry. Yes, you're Um, allowed to. (laughs) Okay. And that was it. Like, that's how the business started. And then from there, I decided, okay, I borrowed all of these images from Pinterest. Let me do a photo shoot so that we can have something. But I didn't initially start with the intention of having a physical space. I was actually just going to very purely keep it as an Instagram account or a digital presence that celebrated Black hair. 
And through the photo shoot, uh, we had 15 black models and we had a full team, black braiders, our makeup artist was black. And a lot of the people that had participated in the photo shoot kept on saying, you know, this is the first time that we've experienced a space like this in Austin, where I've worked with exclusively black people or where I see people that look like me. Um, and that I think really resonated with me in a way where I pretty much immediately decided that I was going to open a space uh, because it seemed like it was very much so needed. And I had felt it over my past four and a half years in Austin as well. Yeah, that's incredible. That quote that you were talking about, you know, the world has a lot of opinions about how Black people should wear their hair. Can you tell me about your own experience with that and how you've come to celebrate and embrace what makes you, you? I think being in corporate, corporate has a way of beating you down, beating the identity out of you sometimes, um, and especially during my time at L'Oreal, right? It's it's a beauty company. The marketing is such that we celebrate everyone, but then you see what their definition of everyone is, right? There's a very specific beauty standard that they are pushing. And I felt like I was not a part of that. Growing up around people who didn't look like me, I have 4C hair. I wear my hair in braids. Um, I have a straight Afro, like an Afro. So... <laughs> I always felt like I was striving to be something else other than who I was and like how I was born into this world. At L'Oreal, I remember one of my first performance reviews, my manager told me that I was at about 80%, like is what she would give me out of 100. And I said, okay, like, what can I do for those other 20%? And she mentioned, you just need to work on your executive presence. And I asked, okay, what does that mean? And the way that she explained it was essentially, I needed to dress a certain way. My hair couldn't be in braids. So I started wearing wigs and weaves more. I needed to wear certain brands, like things that were a little more superficial, but again, fit that standard of beauty. And I think that was one of the moments where I was like, this is not the place for me. But it took a lot of inner work. And that's why I say during the pandemic, when I was braiding my own hair, you're forced to stand in front of the mirror for eight plus hours staring at yourself. And that's really where a lot of that acceptance came from was um, just reflecting on all of the experiences that I had had growing up and in corporate and realizing that those were not true they were not me and reclaiming um, my own identity and my power as well wow I can't believe that and I feel like there's definitely legislation passed now right to where I mean people can't at work cannot tell you how to do your hair but that's crazy that you know people even find subliminal ways mm -hmm. to tell you things like that you know like oh executive presence that could mean mean anything but when you really <laughs> got to the bottom of it you realized what she was saying had nothing to do with you as a person, but just like her idea of your appearance. Exactly. And I will say even legislation wise, the Crown Act is something that is being pushed, but currently only in 13 states, I believe, is it passed where you cannot discriminate against someone based off of their hair. 
And in Texas, Texas is not one of those 13 states, but Austin is the first city in Texas where the Crown Act has passed too. So really, when you think about it, the vast majority of the U.S., like you can still do that. It's like, don't we have better things to legislate? Right? <laughs> like, what is someone's hair going to do, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, Millie, I want to talk about your journey to opening the salon. I know you opened your doors in November of 2021. What were the biggest lessons learned throughout the process of opening your salon? When opening the salon, I signed the lease in September. I spent the month of October DIYing the space. I was still working full time. So I was there in the early mornings and late at night setting everything up. And then we opened our doors in November. During our first appointment, we had our client, she put her purse on one of the shelves that I had put up and the shelf literally came off of the wall. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we ended up laughing about it. And she was like, it's okay. But you know, like things like that are going to happen and you just kind of have to accept it and roll with it and do what you can with what you have. The salon itself, the braided life is fully self-funded. And so there are things like I have to put up the shelves and sometimes they fall off the walls and that's okay. So <laughs> that definitely has been a learning for me and also to ask for help. I'm definitely still learning this lesson um, but when I opened, as I said, I did everything on my own. And now as we're looking for our next space, I'm definitely leaning more on people for help as well. And what was the decision to look for another space? Number one, we're outgrowing in a lot of ways. We want to be able to hire more braiders. And then number two, the services that we're able to offer in the space don't include washing and blow drying and deep conditioning and really at the heart of who we are as a brand. We are a braiding salon, yes, but at the end of the day, braids are a protective style. And we always say that a protective style doesn't do its job unless the hair that you're trying to protect is also healthy. We want to move into a space where we can do pre and post braid services. So pre braids, deep conditioning your hair, washing it properly, detangling it properly, making sure We've taken the proper steps to prepare it for braids. And then after, um, also deep conditioning, providing you with a trim um, and having that full life cycle. It's also a convenience thing. A lot of um, the tension in the Black community around salons right now and the conversations that are happening online, I'm not sure if you've seen them, but is that you know, prices are going up, but quality of service or expectations are not. So, you know, some stylists require you to not only come washed and blow dried, but like pre-part your hair so that they don't have to part it as part of the service. Um, maybe straighten your hair because it's just easier to work with, right? Like there are all of these requirements. And I think that at the end of the day, braiding, getting your hair braided should be an act of self-care and it should not be a stressful experience. And so we want to move into a space where we can provide even more of that convenience and more of that ease for our clients. What has been the response from your community of customers since opening? Are there any memorable moments or testimonials that you can share? When I opened the Braided Life, I 
had set an intention to make it a space where people who maybe had gotten their hair braided once in their life, but had a really bad, like traumatic experience would feel comfortable trying it again. Or people who had never gotten braided would want to come and see what getting braids is about. That intention has definitely come to fruition. A lot of our customers, it's either their first time getting their hair braided or they come in telling us that, you know, this person gave me a ball spot or this person was like yelling on the phone or left in the middle of my appointment and had like a traumatic experience and that they came to us because they trusted that um, we were not going to do that and that we were going to provide them with care. And so I'm just really proud of that. I think one in particular, there is a client who kind of wrote a testimonial on her Instagram and shared um, with her stylist as well that she had never gotten braided growing up. She um, was half black, half white, and both sides of her family essentially told her that her hair was ugly um, and called her racial slurs um, because of the texture of her hair. And so she had just felt a lot of shame around her hair and was going on this um, acceptance journey of her own and that we were the first stop for her where she felt comfortable kind of telling that story, engaging with her Black ancestry and getting braids. And she has definitely become a regular as well. So it's moments like that that make me feel really proud to have a space where people feel comfortable confronting their past traumas, but also like just having fun. It's really testament to how much hair can impact someone's life. Like you don't really think about it, but when you find someone who you trust with your hair, like I know I've gone to the same person forever because you don't know if they're going to like cut your hair too much or what the customer service will be like. Once you have that confidence, you just keep going back. And that's why I think everything you're saying for a service business is so critical to to build that relationship with your clients. Exactly. I will say that right now we are also in a period of transition because not everything that I had intended for the space has happened smoothly, right? Growing a business and a business where you have other people as part of it, right? It's not just me. Uh, it becomes a learning experience. And right now we are taking a step back and realizing that some of the self-care practices that we wanted, some of the values that we had initially as a team and that we wanted our clients to feel are not uh, where they should be. And so we are also reevaluating the way that we do things to continue delivering what our clients deserve. No, it's great to have that self-awareness as a business owner. I mean, if you don't, you're kind of screwed. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, that's great for listeners to hear too. Like it's okay to look at yourself with a critical eye and just always focus on how you can improve because ultimately not only your customers will benefit, but you you will be on the receiving end of that as well. Exactly. We've touched a little bit about acceptance throughout the episode and I'm curious if you could say one thing to your younger self who may have been struggling to accept her natural hair, what would it be? You are enough. Growing up, you know, as I mentioned, my mom passed away when I was seven. And when she passed away, my little brother was one month old. So 
in a lot of ways, I was also parentified and had to step in as mom to myself, to my brother. So a lot of my own self-worth was how I could be of service to other people. I felt like I didn't deserve to be accepted or I was not enough unless I was doing things for others. And I've definitely had to unlearn that. And that's part of accepting myself, accepting my hair, accepting just everything um, is learning that just being is enough and you are enough by just being on this planet. So that's what I would tell my younger self. I I love that. Hopefully people listening who can relate, take something from that because that's so impactful. I'd love to learn a little bit about what your team and salon look like today as well as plans you may have for the future. Yeah. Um, Our team is, as I mentioned, very much so in flux right now. We are currently hiring across all positions. So um, master stylist, junior stylist. uh, We're also expanding from braiding to also being able to, you know, deep condition, trim your hair before and after services. So people who can also cater to those services as well. Um, right now we are a team of, oh gosh, things are moving so quickly. I'm like happening mm-hmm. in my head. Um, <laughs> we're a team of five or six right now. Um, and we're looking to be to about double that by the top of 2023. That's so exciting to be growing your team and moving locations. And I know that when we first spoke, you mentioned that you'll still be located in East Austin. I was wondering if you could tell me about your decision to maintain your presence in this part of town and what you aim to accomplish with that. We very intentionally opened a salon on the east side, knowing that it has traditionally been a space where the Black community in Austin was. And because of redlining, um, gentrification, the Black community has been pushed out of the east side. And so it's just really important for me to continue to grow our roots on the east side, to take up space on the east side. Um, And to show that we deserve to be there too, we belong there as well. So our new location, fingers crossed, will still be there. And we're just kind of expanding our presence there. Well, speaking of your new location, can you tell me about the guest experience you create for clients of The Braided Life when they come into your salon? Yeah, Uh, when they arrive at the location, we greet them, uh, we offer them a drink. So we do have red wine, white wine, rosé, champagne, coffee, tea, water, and we start off with a consultation. So again, really just understanding what is your hair history? What are your hair concerns? What are your hair goals? Making sure we understand exactly the style that you want. Um, and then we kind of get started from there. Clients also each have individual tablets where they can watch Netflix, Hulu, HBO, pretty much everything. Um, and we provide free headphones for them as well. So that, again, this is just like your little slice of peace in what may be a chaotic world. This is the few hours and maybe the month or the year um, where you can cater to yourself. You can drink your glass of wine, you can watch your show in peace and know that you're being taken care of. I love that. I love those attention to detail. 
When we first spoke, Millie, you mentioned that one big challenge in growing your business has been explaining your worth as a service-based business. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about that and how you've been able to overcome that obstacle? Yeah, I think that what we do, braiding, is a craft. Um, It is an art. It's also a science. And at the end of the day, it's a craft. It takes 10,000 plus hours to master just like anything else. And I think a lot of the work that we're doing at The Braided Life is really explaining what mastery and braiding is, the value of braiding, the value of braiders, because there are questions around like, okay, but why do braiders charge X, Y, Z, or why should they deserve to make six figures or even to make a living wage at that? And a lot of unlearning that needs to be done within our community and within society generally around what is a um, quote, what is quote unquote success, right? Or what is a lucrative career or what are lucrative or feasible paths to sustaining a life that you love right now I think a lot of the conversation is around doctor lawyer be in tech be an engineer etc and for us um, it's about teaching people that being in the service industry is just as impressive as working at a large tech company um, and that our worth should not be questioned I think it's also that people think they have access to you at all hours of the day and that we don't have boundaries. And I just want to say that we are also human. Um, Yes, we are here in service of you, but we also need time to recharge. We also have bad days sometimes. Um, And so to just have a little more grace with people in the service industry as well. Yeah, that's so important for people to remember, especially when it comes to like a service that can have such an impact on your confidence and your demeanor. You really have to take a minute to acknowledge and be grateful for all the work and skill that actually goes into it. Yep. I know you've also collaborated with large organizations like Meta, MasterCard, Shea Moisture, and much more. Can you tell me what those projects were like and how they impacted your business? Some of those experiences were wonderful experiences where we would work with the brand again in a heartbeat, and some of them were not. And I think they taught us to really come up with a framework for when you say yes and when you say no and to not be afraid to say no to even large fortune 500 companies Um, because at the end of the day you're starting this brand for a reason and you want to maintain the integrity of the brand you want to maintain your energy protect your energy and your vision at all costs and sometimes that means saying no And knowing that you'll be okay with that no, um, whereas some people may ask you, you know, why did you say no? Um, And standing in your truth there. Mm -hmm. And do you have like any potential red flags that small business owners should be aware of whenever they get approached to do a collaboration? I think red flags vary for everyone, but I am a very big believer in that uh, we should always be compensated for our time. Because at the end of the day, these companies and having worked at these companies um, are putting on these events, yes, to uplift you as a small business owner, but at the end of the day, it's also PR for them. Um, And so you are, again, acting in service to them 
and they should be compensating you for that time that you're taking away for your from your business for the energy for the resources that you're pouring into doing these day long week long whatever events with them that also make them look good they have the budgets to do so um and to really you know question if you're being asked to do a lot and not compensated in some way for your time and energy why that is and how that feels in your gut Mm-hmm. It's important to know your worth in those instances. Yeah. If you could collaborate with any person or company, who would it be and why? Ooh. I mean, the first person that came to mind was Issa Rae. <laughs> um, I feel like she just does a really wonderful job of maintaining, you know, that authenticity, telling our stories in a really intentional way when we think of insecure right we're seeing people that look like us they pretty much exclusively used black designers for wardrobe they curated music from black artists so everything was just so thorough and creating a web um, of support and uplifting the community you know she always says I'm rooting for everybody black and I'm right there (laughs) with her so (laughs) number one I would have a lot to learn from her and number two having her within the community and working with her on potentially an event would be a lot of fun as well. I mean, if it happens, I might take credit for helping you manifest it. (laughs) We are manifesting it. Exactly. (laughs) That would be amazing. Well, I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a few words of wisdom. What is your biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? Slow down and let go relinquish control. And I feel like that is counterintuitive, right? When you think of an entrepreneur or founder, it's okay. Like what's the next thing? Keep going, sprint, sprint, sprint. Right. Um, And having to be in control, but, but at a certain point you realize you're not in control of most things, even as a business owner. Um, And you are driving yourself crazy by Um, trying to control everything and by sprinting all the time. So yeah, slow down and let go, take care of yourself um, and the rest will follow. Great advice. Millie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Before I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and the braided life online, on social media, and where they can stay tuned to learn more about your new salon? Yes, we are at The Braided Life across all channels. We're mostly on Instagram, but we're also at The Braided Life on TikTok and Twitter. We're also uh, thebraidedlife.com. So yeah, everything is just The Braided Life. If you type it in, we'll come up. Thank you so much to Millie for joining me on the podcast. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.